Against billionaires and shit coins, Surfer Jim stood tall. Comparing Bitcoin to real estate, he's more stoked than y'all. Surfer Jim, Surfer Jim, got under the billionaire's skin. Surfer Jim, Surfer Jim, knows that Bitcoin always wins. That was a video by BTC Minstrel, and if you're not following him, make sure to go and follow him on YouTube. Welcome to the Tucson Bitcoin Podcast. My name is Alex, and today my guest is Surfer Jim. And man, it was really good to have him on. Uh, he got on my radar uh, for the first time because he uh, called out Chamath and Mike Novogratz on Twitter for being shitcoiners and speaking at a Bitcoin conference, which got me pretty stoked. And Chamath had a pretty negative response back towards him and then proceeded to get uh, destroyed by the plebs. Uh, so that was a great moment. And yeah, I've been following Surfer Jim for a couple months since then. He's been on a few podcasts. He did some great work at Pork Fest. And he's just a normal dude that has a construction business that just really wants people to learn and understand Bitcoin. And that's what I really like about him. He's not going out there trying to get famous off of uh, trolling billionaires or anything like that. He's just a guy that believes in Bitcoin and calls people out when they're saying stupid stuff. And it's something that I. Tr- you know, really admire and aspire to be like. Uh, but yeah, in this conversation, we, we talk about what his experience is like uh, being a business owner uh, and why he thinks Bitcoin is really special. And I had a lot of fun. It's really good to have him on. And I hope you enjoy this conversation. Awesome. Good to have you on, Jim. Thanks for doing yeah. this. Yeah, thanks for having me. No problem. So how long have you been building houses for? Oh, wow. Uh... Well, building houses, I don't know, you know, there's over 20 years since I probably built my first house, but um, in construction, like more like 40 uh, at one level or another. Um, my first construction job was in the roofing industry, and I still do a fair amount of roofing when people need it to be done. But of course, I do a lot more than that. So in the middle there, I did have a little... Um, a little stint in the financial services industry in my 20s and decided I didn't want to be in construction. I wanted to wear a suit and tie and make millions, but it really wasn't for me after about five or six years. And that's actually when I started my own company instead of working for someone else. I was in my late 20s and it's been going ever since. But I'm done. I want to retire <laughs> soon. Yeah. Uh, you know, I mean, I like doing it and stuff, but it gets... It gets old after, I don't know. Yeah, I, I there's so many things to do in life that I would enjoy doing other things with my time, including even earning a living doing different, completely different stuff um, if I was able to. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. So what, what inspired you to go off and start your own business versus just working for somebody else? Uh, all right. So from an early age, I was a big believer in trying to improve who I was. I started listening to motivational speakers and um, reading that kind of material to try and improve my life, you know, figuring out what what the heck the formula was, I guess you could say. And um, I found myself in this financial services industry, mostly. So I worked in a company that did uh, a lot of financial services, but the bulk of our business had to do with insurance products, um, life insurance, health insurance, disability insurance. 
We did a lot of work with pension plans, helping people set them up, um, things around that. And so I learned a lot about finances. I actually had a Series 7 license, stockbroker's license. I could sell mutual funds and variable uh, annuities, variable life insurance products, all these things that you needed all those licenses for. And in that career, I was trying to improve and I did fairly good. I had uh, hundreds of clients and I was making a decent living at it. And uh, <clears throat> it probably wasn't the most fulfilling job, but I, I found a way to enjoy it. And I was happy making the money I was making. And I felt I was always, I had to dress nice. I had to wear a suit every day, which is really not me. Like the kind of, I'm like a t-shirt and jeans kind of guy look i'm wearing a t-shirt right now basically i'm just like hanging out i don't like wearing suits and, and worrying about like rubbing up against something and getting dirty but i did it and uh i was trying to always be better and i was listening to motivational material all the time and so uh driving in the car i'm listening to this guy talk about if you're going to be a salesman what should you sell and I'm like okay i'm a salesman and i sell financial products and he starts talking about like this the underlying type of personality you have so he says if you're like an intellect and you like working with your mind and crunching numbers or stuff like that and you're going to sell something maybe you should sell an intangible product like mortgages or stocks or what i was doing and then he goes on to say but if you're the kind of guy who likes to work with his hands and build stuff then you should probably sell something that you can hold in your hands a tangible product or something you could you know provide to people you know they can touch and feel and i instantly knew i had to quit it was like very stark realization that i was just selling the wrong product like i was okay i, I it was a helpful business to be in because i learned to sell i learned to make phone calls make appointments i learned to manage my own time pretty well so that helped certainly going into starting my own company but i was like oh, i'm selling the wrong thing and the thing i knew best was construction because the whole time i was doing that i was always doing side jobs for people so um, I had all this experience. And one of the things that actually gave me the confidence to do it was I got, um, I was asked to fix a roof that nobody could fix because I had a lot of experience. Uh, an architect who knew me recommended me to the builder. And so I was able to fix it. And then the homeowner was so happy. She approached me and asked me if I could do the main roof on the whole entire house. This is like a porch roof that I had fixed. And she was like, asking me the whole main roof. And it was like a $30,000 roof job, big old house, like hundred year old house. And I didn't, I didn't have a construction company. I didn't have a crew. I didn't have a pickup truck or a ladder or anything. And I gave her a proposal and she hired me to do her roof. <laughs> I went, holy shit. Now I got to do this roof. And I was just instantly in the construction business, more or less. I mean, I had actually, before that, I had set up the company. So I, had, I actually had an official company, but I had no real work to speak of. And I had no actual company with workers. I just knew people and I could put it together. And I did. And it came out fantastic. And she went on to hire me to change the siding on the house. And it turned into another huge job. And I just kept managing it and figuring out how to you know, I, I bought certain tools, I rented things, I hired subcontractors, I do whatever I had to do. And I figured out a way to get it done. And I was like, wow, if I could do that, I can, I can make it in this business. I might as well just, you know, switch over to the construction business. And that's basically what I did. So, and then I got an opportunity. Um, you may have heard me speak about this, but I work in a really nice place called Fire Island, which is a barrier island on the south shore of Long Island. And it's mostly summer homes, and it's really nice. And, uh, 
there's limited access and there's limited competition because of the limited access. And so if you can get established out there, you can do pretty good with, you know, reliable work all the time. Customers are always rehiring me. And I was able to get a connection to one customer who then told all his neighbors to hire me. And in the first year I had like 20 customers and it never stopped. And I've been there ever since. So that, that, that helped, you know, a couple, couple of good breaks and, uh, you know, working hard at it, making it, making it happen. I will say one thing, you know, I'm going to tie this to Bitcoin right now. So like, I get this position working on Fire Island, this this kind of dream area to work because it's right along the ocean. I'm yeah. a surfer and I'm working on these homes when no one's home. They're not even there. So it's it's helpful, you know, like I don't feel like I'm bothering them. But I realize there's a serious trust issue. They have to be able to trust me when they're not there. They're in, you know, they're in their winter home and this this house is vacant all winter and I'm working on it. So being a photographer, since I'm a kid, I used to take pictures of everything, including the work I was doing. And I would mail double, I would get double prints. This was before digital. And I'd mail a set to the homeowner as I was working at their house. And they would get, you know, surprise package of photos of the work and they would love it. And I realized when I started working over there, nobody knew me. I had a clean slate and I could make, you know, I could keep it that way if I honored my promises and did what, you know, did good work and it you know that that basically worked out and sending people pictures helped a lot and um it basically just translates into trust building trust with people and and then being able to feel they can trust you so much they'll tell their neighbor to hire you and they could not worry that you're gonna you know make make them look bad right so that it it starts to spread outward you know it's a it's a big deal every every new customer it creates more of a responsibility to keep that trust level with everybody and um so i knew i had that opportunity and and so what this is what um triggered me on bitcoin it was my third touch right so i had heard about it twice and dismissed it and then i'm listening to a woman talk about bitcoin on a ted talk and connecting it to trust or the fact that you can trust the system without having to trust any people who are actually participating in the system and it really piqued my interest because I had, I had had, you know, decades of running a business where trust was everything um, with regard to getting rehired and getting referrals and stuff. So, um, yeah, as soon as I, as soon as I heard her say that, that was when I really went looking for Bitcoin information. And I was fortunate enough to find a lot of good, strong signal with, um, you know, truthful, logical information about Bitcoin. Uh, I, you know, of course, investigated all the other cryptocurrencies out there, at, you know, well, not all the other, but a handful of them. I read a bunch of white papers. I wanted to know what the heck was going on. I thought maybe this thing, that thing could all be cool one way or another. After enough research, dismissed all of it to realize that Bitcoin is the only one that matters, in my opinion. And so, yeah, that took me maybe six months of serious, hard research before I could even decide to buy any Bitcoin. But once I did, I was pretty well convinced I, I dove in pretty hard because I was super convinced that I needed to I need to find out what that lady was talking about whether or not she was lying you know what you know I'd already heard about it so I kind of like I had even watched a documentary so I kind of knew a decent amount about Bitcoin but I it, after I watched that documentary it looked like 
the only way I was ever going to get any was to set up a mining rig and I wasn't a computer guy. So I wasn't going to do that. And I was like, all right, whatever. I guess I'm not going to do Bitcoin, whatever that thing. But then another year or so later, I hear this Ted talk and I'm like, wait a minute, what does the trust got to do with it? What is, what is she talking about? Money system, money network. You don't have to trust people, blah, blah, blah. She was pretty vague. It's weird because like a year later, I went back and watched it again. And I'm like, man, I can't believe this lady. I was that curious because she didn't even know really that much. She wasn't that knowledgeable about Bitcoin. Because once I got, I, I got to a point where I was way more knowledgeable than the talk she gave about Bitcoin. But it was enough to pique my interest. Cause, and then I just dove in deep and kept learning. So Thanks. anyway, hope that answers your question about construction, which is where you started on this whole thing. Uh, yeah. Um, was, it, was there something that like broke your trust with the financial system? I know you probably got impacted by the 2008 financial crisis and seeing that living in New York, but. Yeah, no, I wouldn't say anything that broke my trust so directly that. No, uh, but what I would say about the financial system is it always felt rigged to me. <laughs> it always felt like I was at a disadvantage most of my life. And you know, growing up in America, white male, I had it pretty good. Obviously, you know, I'm certainly not one of the most downtrodden of people out there in the world. And in my generation, of course, we had it pretty good um, in the decades that I grew up. I was, you know, I grew up, I'm born in early 60s. So I've been around for a few decades. And uh, um, a lot of people in my generation are experiencing quite a lot of benefit having lived uh, all those years because of the way society was was created and, and put together. I don't happen to be one of those, uh, some of the people who have benefited the most. I, I feel like I've had to struggle most of my life uh, in particular, but I've also hated the system and always bucked the rules. So I was never one to like, I mean, just as a stupid example, which probably hurt me financially, I never advertised my company. I never built a website. I never did anything. I didn't take out a newspaper ad, nothing. But I always had work. I always had enough work. But I struggled at times. There was times where it was really lean. I, I, I remember once paying payroll by taking borrowing on a credit card. I wasn't happy about that. But I did whatever I had to do. But like, there's people in my generation that work in corporate America or government that are billionaires. You know what I mean? They're, um, they really <laughs> took advantage of the system that was created around us. And I was not one of those people. And as a matter of fact, when I was in the financial services industry, I kind of hated some of the people that were in the industry. They felt like total scammers, so many of them. And it just kind of, it's part of the reason I probably didn't like it because it felt very, um, well, <laughs> you know, the stereotypical salesman, right? Especially like life insurance, which was one of our main products, you know, life insurance salesmen were not considered the most, um, high integrity people. It's almost like a used car salesman, you know? So, and, and many of them were high level professionals that were very, very intelligent. And, you know, some of the other investment related uh, people that we worked with, you know, were very smart and, and plenty of high integrity, but there was also plenty of like sleazy salespeople in the industry. You know what I mean? And it wasn't something I really was, could relate to. And so part, probably part of the reason I didn't feel like I really fit. Gotcha. Yeah, I was hanging out with the car salesman the other day that was trying to sell somebody on a car and uh, the guy's like $9,000 in the hole on this old car and he told him to just 
roll the dead over into his new car and i i just couldn't bear it and looked over at him and was like yeah just like the government just keep on rolling it over dude <laughs> that's what you know i got I, I could say I got caught up in, in the logic of borrow this much money to buy a car or buy a house or whatever else. I borrowed money for vehicles, uh, more than one house, and business loans. And, you know, I felt the pain of all that for many years. Luckily, it's not horrible and, I've, you know, I'm, I'm okay. But, it's a, you know, I spent decades working to you know keep my head above water like a lot of regular americans a lot of people all over the world just working hard because the system is rigged in so many different ways especially the way government manipulates money i didn't know any of this of course you know i certainly wasn't taught in school when i went to school um and it's just not out there you have to find it luckily the internet you know i mean that's another thing you know i found bitcoin and i also learned a lot about economics and about how government works and how the money system works and you know had i not learned all of that i wouldn't understand bitcoin as well but i also wouldn't understand how to position myself going forward as i feel i do now i'm actually i say this once in a while to people but i'm probably more optimistic now about my future than i ever was even though the world's turning to shit for the most part in a lot of ways um i feel more um focused and aligned and you know organized in, in certain ways and and part of it ha, has has to do with feeling like i have a certain level of financial sovereignty that i never had before you know because of bitcoin so yeah yeah i mean it, it it's been huge for me uh dramatically uh you know for that reason as well you know from going from living paycheck to paycheck to having some meaningful savings uh yeah. where I think a lot of people struggle to see that they're kind of in a slave relationship with their employer, you know, where they can't leave of their own volition or else it's a crisis and they can't speak their mind. And it's just kind of awful. I will say one thing about being your own boss. So you have to make everything happen. I mean, it's not like just get up and show up for work and someone shows you what to do and you just work all day and you get a paycheck. Like I have to create the work. I have to sign contracts, type up contracts. I have to figure out jobs. There's a lot that goes with it. And I don't have a boss per se, but I have dozens or hundreds. Every customer is a potential boss, but I don't, I don't need every one of them. So I could fire any one of them anytime I want to. And I've had to do it. You know, like I just don't want to work for certain people anymore. And of course, some of them have decided to fire me for whatever reason. They've never called me back. And then I see somebody else working on their house and I realize, oh, I guess they don't like me that much. I don't know why, you know, everything seemed to go okay. I usually always get the jobs. Done. I mean, I shouldn't even say usually, I always finish my jobs, but for whatever reason, you know, I can't get along with every single person. And so some people choose not to call me back, but it's fine. There's always work. I looked at, I went out today. I got a call from somebody who's, I did a custom, very custom, again, another roof. This is why they called me because they wanted me to look at, yet another roof um their house had a very unique custom flat roof that met up with a slanted roof and very old house and they were very happy with the job it's lasted really well and they have a hundred year old barn really big barn and they called me to ask if i would give them a price to put a roof on the barn and when i was there this girl says to me i got 
while you're here, could you look at a couple other jobs? And she shows me her friend's house that has a little porch roof that needs to get redone. But then she takes me to a lighthouse. And the people who own the lighthouse, the village where this lighthouse is in Long Island, they, the lighthouse roof on the very tippity top is leaking. And they need somebody to fix it. And I'm like, how did I end up at a lighthouse today looking at a leaky lighthouse roof? But I was up there, you know, 100 feet up in the air taking pictures from up there and stuff. I was going to put them on Twitter. I just didn't get to it yet. So maybe you'll look for those tomorrow. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, it's just the work. I don't know what was my point going to be, but the work just shows up. There's always somebody that's happy to call me back and hire me to do something. So I don't know. Might be doing a lighthouse roof one day. Yeah. I did one, but that's okay. I'm not afraid. Yeah. Yeah. There's definitely a bit of trade off of going out and doing, you know, your own business venture versus just showing up to work and uh, working for somebody else. It has given me the flexibility to, you know, live. I felt fairly free. I could pretty much come and go as I want a lot of days. And I got to surf a lot of days. Surfing's tricky because you don't get to really plan surfing. You have to show up when the waves are there, when the conditions are right. And that could be Tuesday at 10 a.m. to 3 p.m. And then all of a sudden the wind switches or the tide changes and it's no good. So you can't wait till after work or you miss it. And, you know, many people just can't live a life where they can go. They have to just get lucky when the waves are good after work or on weekends or whenever they can go surfing. And, you know, there's plenty of days I couldn't take off of work. I had obligations. I had to be at the job site or whatever. But uh, plenty of days where I could. So that's been super nice. And one of yeah. the side benefits of working for yourself if you can work it out. Yeah. Have you incorporated Bitcoin into your business at all? No, I haven't even tried. Most of the people that I know aren't going to try and they're not going to pay me in Bitcoin. I, I talk to every customer who's interested in talking about it, and I certainly give them the option, but they don't, they're not going to. They're just very few of them even own any Bitcoin. I work for a lot of people that are actually older than me, so they don't get it. So. How about your employees? They don't seem to get it either, I guess, for the most part. I mean, they, they're sort of interested, but not really. I think one of them might own a little. They don't really, they don't, I don't know if it's just they don't take me seriously or what. I'm not sure. I don't care. I learned a long time ago that no one's really going to take financial advice from me because, you know, I'm, I'm not a financial guy. I build houses for a living. So why should they listen to me? So even my, my own workers who like me and who I, provide work to and everything they don't they don't care either so and my customers the same way they don't they're not going to really listen to me especially if they think they're smarter or whatever so i don't try all that hard um you know i'm always willing to talk to people about it and i know more than most of these people when i get into conversations with them because i i live and breathe this stuff every day pretty much most people don't so yeah but you know whatever i don't i'm not I don't care. Like, I'm not going to stay in construction that much longer anyway. So I don't, I'm not in a big hurry to implement, you know, payment rails and Bitcoin for the services I provide. It's not, not that critical for me to establish all that just to shut it off in a year or so. so. Gotcha. When, when was the moment where it really clicked for you? Uh, I had a few moments probably, and a lot of times it, would, it had to do with, I'd be watching a video or listening to a talk and a concept would get explained and I'd be able to grasp just 
um, so I've mentioned this before on other podcasts and whatnot. As a kid growing up, I used to take everything apart because I just had a natural curiosity to see how things worked inside. And I grew up in a basically mechanical world. It, it wasn't a lot of electronics. There was certainly no computers or cell phones or none of that. So you could visually see how gears went together and springs and levers and motors and whatnot. And um, so I, I have this mind where I need to... I need to be able to visualize how the parts connect and how when you want push a button over here, something over there happens. And so, so in Bitcoin, you know, you can look at the way the network operates, the different components of the network and how one, when you do one thing in one part of the network, how does it trigger through the network, you know, what's going on. And um, <clears throat> even if you can't read or write the code, you can still understand the mechanism of what's taking place by using descriptions of certain actual parts of the network or analogies or metaphors to to create you know visual in your head and so it took me being able to visualize the network and what was actually happening how it was working how why you were able to not have to worry about certain aspects and why you didn't need to trust certain people and um just a whole bunch of elements that make Bitcoin what it is. I think it's the things that people that get Bitcoin, they all, what I'm describing generally, many little things are the things that everybody tends to come to the realization about eventually, which is what causes them to really get Bitcoin or really decide this is a critical, important thing. I need as much of it as I can get because it's a future monetary network of the world, right? So in my opinion, um, if it is going to be the future monetary network of the world, and there's only ever going to be 21 million uh, Bitcoin divided by 100 million subunits, and potentially smaller than that on second and third layer solutions, um, the world can work with that. And if that becomes the system the world ends up working with, not only will that be a nice fair monetary system, um, it will level the playing field and allow people that... Uh, could never prosper before to prosper and it will take power away from people that exploit um, the power that they have through the mo current monetary system. So, so a lot happens when, you know, if Bitcoin goes the, the way I think it's going to go. So um, I don't know, how, how do we even start on this? I forgot how I got started going down this road. I apologize. I forget what even question you asked to start this whole thing off with. Oh, I just asked when, uh, when did it click for you? Yeah. So a lot of, yeah. So I started saying a lot of little things and I just, once I saw how it all worked together, I, it was, it was too fascinating for me to turn away. And once I saw all that, I saw it as the thing I just described, the monetary system of the world and how it's very important for everybody. And it made it very important for me to, um, to stay engaged because it was just too important. It was way beyond me getting potentially wealthy, right? So I think most people look at Bitcoin as like, okay, I'm going to buy some, it's going to go up in value and I'm going to be able to live off that and sell it. And, you know, I'll cash out, so to speak. And I, I probably at first I might've thought similarly, but now I don't see it that way. There is no cashing out of Bitcoin for me. If I ever spend it, it will just get spent as Bitcoin as money, which it's meant to be done. Um, I will forego any future growth on that as I go to spend it out into the world, but hopefully I'll spend it at a rate that it will last me the rest of my life. So um, I have no problem spending my Bitcoin. I, you hear a lot of people say they're never going to spend it. They'll leave it for their kids. That's great. If they never need to spend it and they want to leave their kids with 
potential spending power of millions or billions because they happen to have so much good for them. Um, I don't really care. I just see it as a way to level the playing field for all people. So you should get as many units on the network as possible. Right. So, uh, you know, it, it clicked for me eventually. And then, you know, once I saw how, so first I had to see how it worked and then I had, then I had to see how it fit into the world. So I had to learn some economics that I didn't understand and some politics I didn't understand, some monetary uh, theory I didn't understand. But once you started to see all that, then this much larger picture of, oh, I can get rich off of this, it gets much bigger than that. And it is, I think for not just me, I think a lot of people, even though they might personally gain in owning Bitcoin and having a larger purchasing power in the future, so therefore, theoretically, the equivalent of more wealth, um, it's way more beyond that for a lot of people because of what I just described, the idea that this is, it's critical for humanity. It goes way beyond our lifetimes potentially. So our efforts in helping to bootstrap this network, take it seriously, explain it to people, stay engaged, support it, do all the things we do, just you doing a podcast, me sitting here talking on the podcast. This is the kind of thing that helps give other people a sense that maybe they should pay attention to this. Maybe there is something here that matters and they should do their homework. And, uh, you know, they've been, you know, let's put it this, if you can't explain what Bitcoin is or how it works, then you have no way to make an opinion. You don't know what you're talking about, right? So you got to get to a point where you understand enough about it that you can say, okay, I totally get how it works and I still don't want any, but I don't think you'll say that. If you get to how it works, you're going to go, holy shit, I got to get some. So, but most people never engage that far because it does take a little effort. It's not a simple, simple concept. It can be, you can explain it simply, but then most people would go like, okay, but you know, prove it, which then that requires all that background stuff. That's when you got to start learning a whole bunch of other stuff so that you can believe like a real simple statement about, oh, it's going to be the future monetary system of the world. So you can hear that and go, okay, well, that's pretty interesting. That could be important. You could rationalize how critical that could be, but what, you know, how do I, how do I come to that conclusion? So somebody might say, well, then prove it to me. And I could say, okay, well, let me explain how it works. And I could spend the next three weeks explaining stuff where they, I could finally justify that statement of how it's going to turn into that. So people, ha there's a lot of work you might have to do to, to come to the, that realization, which is where I'm at. But I think there's tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands or millions of people on this planet already that are already at that stage like me. Right. Uh, you seem like you're there. I'd like to think so. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So. Yeah. Yeah. It, it does take a tremendous amount of work. And I think a lot of people struggle to see the uh, importance of doing that work to actually understand it. I think that's why so many people get swept away into the shit coins. And uh, yeah. yeah, there's too much hype around them and not enough deep you know, how does it work? Like, I, I I, think for a lot of people, and I don't know if this is society-wide, I don't know if it's just human nature-wide, but I don't think a lot of people care to know how things work. Like, most people don't care to know how their car works. They just want to know it works when they turn on the key, and, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I'm sure that's the same for me in a lot of ways, but I'm more of the kind of person that I really like to know how things work. Like, I like to know how my computer works and how my car or anything, you know, whatever. Um, I've always been the kind of person to try and fix stuff myself. Um, so, but there, you know, something like 
so I think there's going to be a day where it won't matter, right? You'll grow up in a world where everybody accepts Bitcoin as money and nobody will care how it works. They'll just use it. And the people who care will make sure it stays working correctly. But we're trying to get an entire paradigm shift in all societies on the planet, not just one culture in one little place or anything else. You know, you're talking about completely different socioeconomic groups and, you know, languages, all, but Bitcoin is for everybody. So you're trying to, there's a lot, you have to, I mean, every person, it, it flips the switch for, for every person slightly differently. And it, it probably has to do with where you come from, what kind of, you know, background, what kind of monetary issues you might have had in your country, all these kind of factors. But um, it still takes a little bit of effort. You can't, like, we're at a point where you don't have most of the world just uses it and you just go, okay, it's money. Okay. We just use it. Like if you're a kid growing up and everybody around you uses it, you just use it. You don't think of it, but we're not at that stage yet. We're at the stage where most of society doesn't use it. And we are trying to convince people, Hey, look at, you know, pay attention to this, get on board, which then requires all this extra effort. And that's why it's, it requires some people to do a little more work than just, okay, it's money. Okay. I'll use it. No, because they don't want to. They don't know. They, they listen to what the government says or whatever, or what the thing they've always done their whole life. They don't want to just switch. And so, um, yeah, we're at the bootstrapping stage. We're going to go down in history, us folks. Um, maybe not individually, but as a group, the people who were around in the first 10, 20, 30, 40 years of the life of Bitcoin will be known as the people who stuck their necks out and who really pushed back against the system and didn't give in and made sure it lasted and gave it to future humanity by not giving in and not giving up, you know? Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. I think my point that really it flipped for me was seeing how hard money uh, influences time preference and kind of contrasting yeah. that against fiat and totally. that, yeah, that just blew my mind. Um, yeah, you see it happen to, you know, individually, it happens to people, you know, you just realize how you value, you know, you, you know, I had to come to the realization that the money I was earning represented the time I spent going to work, you don't just always think of it that way. And then you think about, well, okay, what am I going to turn that into? And you start to realize that, if I put it into something like Bitcoin and just hold it there for a little while, it could give me a lot more purchasing power in the future. So you're willing to give up things now for that in the future. And you didn't, we didn't have that for the longest time. You know, money's been broken for a long, long time. The other thing I would say, and I would say this to people out there right now, considering Bitcoin, look around in your life and look at the things that you own that are worth something that you may or may not use very often, but do you really need most of them? Um, I was, you know, I, I made a decision. I want to reduce my life. I'm, I'm liquidating most everything because I just own too much crap and I want to be able to travel more and stuff. So I got to get rid of a lot of stuff. So, but it hit me, you know, not only do I want to get rid of the stuff, but also there's value sitting here, but it's sitting here in this other thing, like a boat. Sold a boat last year for 10 grand. Bitcoin price was like seven. So I put all that money into Bitcoin and it's now worth like 40 but the boat's not, if I kept it, it would still only be worth 10. So like, where's, where do you have value locked up somewhere that you can stick it in Bitcoin and let it sit there for a few years instead. And I bet you people got value sitting all over the place out in their garage and their attic and their basement with stuff they just don't need. They're just holding on to for whatever stupid reason, 
a lot of us save junk for no other reason just to I don't know, you've had it since you were a kid. I don't know. Maybe it's going to be worth something someday. I don't know. We People do a lot of things for a lot of reasons. I got a lot of other stuff that I saved for sentimental reasons. And now I realize, you know what? I don't need it anymore. I'm the only one that cares. So I might as well just sell it to somebody who wants to put it on their wall. Like I got a really cool old wooden cuckoo clock. I'm looking at it up there. And, uh, you know, it came from my grandparents. It was around when I was a kid. It's pretty cool. But I, I don't need it anymore. I don't need to have a cuckoo clock. I'm going to have to sell it, find somebody who wants it, hopefully give it a nice home and then turn it into sets. And then I'll take that with me somewhere out into the world and I'll turn the cuckoo clock into, you know, a nice steak dinner and some other stuff one day. Who knows? Yeah. It kind of goes back to uh, Pierre Richard was talking about selling all your chairs. Yeah, man. <laughs> sell everything gotcha. you don't need, really. Yeah, yeah it's pretty funny. Sell, sell your chairs. It's, that's a good meme. We got some good memes in the space. Some smart guys that come up with some funny stuff. Yeah. I, I tried to sell my girlfriend on the idea of getting rid of our chairs, and she didn't like that very much. <laughs> so did you happen to go to the Miami conference? No. No, I wasn't. Oh, okay. So then you missed the beefsteak. Do you know about the beefsteak that was put I, on? I heard a bit about it. Yeah. So the beefsteak, there was no plates. There was no napkins. Um, and there was no utensils and there was no chairs. <laughs> Everybody had an apron and there was just platters of meat chopped up and you just grabbed it with your fingers and ate. And it was just meat for hours. <laughs> so it was beefsteak. They just kept all these different cuts of meat prepared different ways and hundreds of people just mulling around and there was coolers with drinks, you know, beer and white claw and whatever else they were had but just meat 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 for hours he had like 500 pounds of meat or something that they cooked i don't even know it's a lot but no chairs no utensils no napkins <laughs> very interesting i didn't hear about that part but there were some people that said that that was the highlight of the entire weekend it was definitely a highlight for sure so the guy who put it on he goes by the name Away Slice on Twitter. His name is Josh. Really cool dude. Um, he lives in New York. Um, and uh, this is a tradition that goes back to, I want to say the meatpacking district was somewhere in New York City from decades ago where butchers would get together and bring cuts of meat and then cook them up together and share them. And they're all wearing their aprons because that's how they cook. They're butchers, you know, that's how they chop and meat all day. So, uh, and, and chefs just put their hands all over the food it's just normal like when they're cooking and cutting up meat they just handle it and then you can't think about it just don't worry man you know and so they that's just like that's just how it it evolved is just a bunch of butchers eating sharing meat together like on a friday night you know after a long week and they're just sharing it with their hands and cooking together and no, there is no like it's like he does it you know he it's a tradition it's a thing that was invented you know by these by these people and this guy, Josh, just decided, I guess, to resurrect the tradition. He certainly went above and beyond in Miami because he put on a really big one. And he got a really cool venue. It was a really big open outdoor area. He had a whole bunch of helpers to help cook and serve. And uh, yeah, it was just a really good vibe. A lot of people, well, I think maybe 150 people. So he did keep it limited to a certain amount so it wouldn't be too overwhelming. But it was very cool. Definitely one of the highlights for sure. Nice. Yeah. Yeah, I need to go. I, I've been short conferences this year. Unfortunately, I did go to the, the Bear Arms and Bitcoin. Um, I won't be going to Bitblock Boom 
and all my friends and family decided to get married this year for some reason. Oh, oh well. But yeah, I'm gonna make my tour around. Yeah, Pit Block Boom is a very good conference. I would highly recommend it for those who can go. It's probably sold out. It was sold out for a while, and then I guess he figured out either he ended up with some extra tickets or he changed something about the venue, but there was some recent tickets that he had for sale, but they're probably gone by now. Um, but that's a great conference. If you can go to it, if you're going to go to conferences, I highly recommend it. It's not too big, and it's all Bitcoiners and solid, just solid group of people. Um, I've been to two of them already, so this will be my third this year. And then the, the other one that I would highly recommend is Tone Vase does one called Unconfiscatable in Las Vegas. Um, it didn't happen this past year because of COVID, but um, um, I believe it's scheduled for March of next year. And I would highly recommend that one because right. it's, it's similar in the sense that it's not very big and there's very good speakers and it's all Bitcoin. And um, part of what I like about both conferences is they're in one hotel where almost everybody seems to stay so that um, with a couple of side events a day or two before or after, you end up coming into town for three or four days. You end up hanging out with the same groups of people over those three or four days, going out to dinners and breakfasts together and hanging out by the pool together and all different things that you end up, you know, becoming really good friends with other Bitcoiners, you know, like-minded people out there in the world that see it the same way. You know, it's hard in our, in our daily lives to meet enough of these people. But when you go to a conference, we're, we're all like ideologically aligned. So it, it seems very easy, at least it has been for me. It, it, it's easy to get along with people and, and connect. And I feel like I have some very good friendships having now gone to a few. And, um, I, you know, I could say that because a lot of these people we've kept in touch. We've actually done things like I went snowboarding with a handful of people over the winter that, you know, like we all wanted to go. They were certainly, you know, welcoming to let me be there. And I was happy to be with all of them. We got along awesome. Um, I went up to that pork fest up in New Hampshire, same kind of thing, hanging out with a bunch of Bitcoiners. And some of them I didn't know that well, but we were like, yeah, let's do this. You know, we're, we're just, you know, like-minded people that wanted to do the same thing. And it just feels really good. It feels like an extended family that's all over the world, you know, and I, I, I literally know people all over the world now, having been in Bitcoin and having met lots of them, like Gigi, right? Who you don't know, like, I didn't know what he looked like until he came up to me in Miami and like, you know, basically threw his arms around me, like, because we, we knew each other from Twitter, we communicate, we follow each other, it's like we're friends, but we never met, but he knew what I looked like, so he had to come up to me and say, Surfer Jim, guess who, and I'm like, Gigi, no way, dude, I recognized his voice right away, but it was very cool, you know, like, we were already friends, and even though we hadn't met, so that's a really unique experience to go through. And that happened over and over again in Miami. And it's happened to me pretty much at a lot of conferences, I guess, except for the first couple where I didn't know anybody and nobody knew me, but now I have friends. And so I get to see them and I get to meet more people and it just keeps going. You know, you'll experience it too, because you got a podcast. So some people are going to watch you and then one day they'll meet you and like, dude, I love your podcast. You know, thanks for doing that. I learned so much or this or that, whatever. I mean, that's how it goes, you know? And it's like me being on your podcast. Somebody might see me at a conference and say, I saw you on Alex's podcast. Oh, that was whatever. You said this, that, or the other thing. It really resonated. You know, maybe somebody's in construction like me, or maybe somebody, whatever, something else that, that they do that's like me and they can really relate. You know, I don't know. Yeah. We all, we all got our own story, but um, 
our stories overlap in life. A lot of us, you know, we all, a lot of us experience similar things, you know, whether it's a death of a loved one or financial, you know, terrorism, you know, I've, I've had a bank account shut down. I had my Coinbase account shut down, you know, like, so, you know, you asked me earlier, like, was there a financial thing that happened in my life? Those weren't triggering events for me because I was already into Bitcoin, but I mean, crazy stuff like that has happened, right? You know, it's not that outlandish that I don't know why the bank decided to just shut down my account. I didn't care. Luckily, I just went and got another one. I have, I mean, I have to have these stupid bank accounts for my business because the world I live in, but one day I don't care to have any of this junk. You know, but that's just, it's always been the way for, for me in my life. It's always, you know, everybody's always had bank accounts, checking accounts and whatnot. Kids these days don't, but I'm a little older than a lot of people in the Bitcoin space. But I'm learning to get rid of it all. Like I'm, you know, throwing away the fiat world little by little. <laughs> I can't wait till I'm like out of it for the most part. Yeah, I wonder what the, the something I love about Bitcoin specifically in the Tucson area because we have a lot of people that are immigrants and don't have access to financial services in the same way that people that were born here do. And uh, I feel like, you know, with what we see with what's happened in El Salvador, where they're just jumping from uh, cash to uh, Bitcoin instead of having to go through that intermediary with the bank and digital money. Um, in that way, uh, I think a lot of the immigrants in my community uh, will experience a similar thing. And that gets me really excited. You well, know, it's going to, just like Parker Lewis writes, gradually then suddenly, I think. And, you know, Jeff Booth talks about exponential growth and how us humans can't comprehend it. There is a chance where it could blow up so fast in the minds of enough people fast enough, you know, when you get huge communities like you're discussing. And then it ripples outward. I mean, you know, it feels like it takes forever to get through to people, but it's happening. It's happening. It's not not happening. You know, and all of a sudden it could, you know, it, if if every person told just two people and then those two people every once a week it happened, you'd have the whole planet covered in less than a year. Everybody would know. But nobody's that diligent and takes much longer than a two days to get it, to be wanting to tell two more people and whatever. So yeah, I don't know. It's I tough, need, but yeah, we need Jack to support uh, Jack Mallers to support Mexico U.S. transfers, and then Tucson will be popping. <laughs> I'm sure he will if the if everybody else wants. To. I mean, like he's. I just listened to him. Did you listen to Preston Pish's interview with him? Not yet. It just no. came out like yesterday, and. Yeah, it's one that you have to listen to for sure. Um, he's got big goals. for. Um, I, there's no reason he can't do it because the way he describes it, he's building on the world's first, best, biggest open monetary network ever created. And he's doing it in an open source way. Uh, and um, it, it's he talks about Strike being the biggest company in the world one day. And there's no reason it couldn't be because he's got like a big head start on how to bootstrap the Bitcoin network and use it the way he's using it so that anybody anywhere in the world can take money that they have in their traditional bank account, send it through the Bitcoin network, have it land anywhere else on the other side of the planet and land in the possession of another person in the form of any other currency. 
That's literally what he could do with Strike. So you can have it land as Bitcoin. You can have it take off as Bitcoin and land as dollars. You know, it doesn't really matter because he figured out how to create all the links and tie them together and do the arbitrage of the, you know, the trading and deal with any type of capital gains. He just has the right connections to the right people in the right industries to know how to build all that. And he's been, he's been successful in doing it. And I, I mean, I could see how it could turn into the template for the world to move value around using the Bitcoin network, but bootstrapping on top of all the other currencies until they're all worthless anyway someday. But um, it's pretty amazing what he's, what he's, his vision, and uh, I could see it happening. So I don't, I'm pretty psyched about it. That's yeah. For sure. Yeah, I'm super stoked about what he's doing. It yeah. just blows my mind. Yep. Smart kid for sure. Do you have any thoughts on uh, Bitcoin versus gold? Well, other than uh, Bitcoin has all the attributes of gold plus more, right? So it's better. Um, I don't, it's so interesting just after having had to learn about the history of money and how humans decided on this concept called money. You know, when you really, really think about it, money is a construct that humans have invented. It's the idea that we're going to work and we're going to represent that work in an object. And we're, we're going to agree that the object has a value that we can peg to something. You know, like we're going we're gonna to say, you know, one ounce of gold, you can get a cow, whatever, right? And we can judge everything off of that. Okay, if it's one full cow and I got an ounce of gold, maybe I need 25 chickens, I don't know, right? So way back when, humans just decided, let's just find something that we could use in the middle to represent our work, you know, something of value. And that's just a concept or a construct. It's an idea, but it's one that requires everybody to basically agree on it, right? Because it doesn't work if, if you know, if you say, look, this thing's worth X. And I go, no, it's not. Not to me, it's not. And that's really what we do anyway, except to the extent that we, as a species, and certainly now, you know, anybody growing up nowadays, you just, you just have to use money. It's part of the way humanity has developed. But way back in, you know, hundreds or thousands of years ago, um, humans had to st stumble through the process of using anything as money. And every culture had to work, work it out. You know, when they were using glass beads in Africa or shells in, you know, early America or feathers or anything else, shark teeth, you know, people have used all kinds of things for money, but we came to the realization that um, money has to have certain properties. And then once we realized the properties of money, you know, fungibility and portability and divisibility and, scarcity all these important factors um you know gold became the best representation for the concept of money so we used it right that was it we used it because it was the best thing we had and and it worked it worked really well it allowed humans to prosper it gave us a, a single unit that we could measure everything against to some extent until until unscrupulous human beings decided to cheat and debase the money and then turn it into paper and then debase it even further in the form of paper and then unpeg from the paper like Nixon did to the world in 1971. And so now money's like com completely broken and we're being forced to use a thing that represents our time that's not stable anymore. It's, not, it's no longer gold. So we had the gold, you know, that was the thing. That was the best thing on the earth, the best 
physical representation of the concept of money that you could store your wealth in and get it back later someday because some other human will recognize that shiny rock has an expected value and I'll give you something for it. That's literally all it is. It's just uh, an absolute agreement by all people that we, we recognize the concept called money and we put it into an object. We value it into an object and it's subjective. People value it all differently every day of the week, all over the world. But ultimately you can sort of settle on some averages you know, for what something, what an ounce of gold might buy, and it might buy about the same thing all over the world nowadays, especially because information travels all around and everybody starts to figure it all out. But then Bitcoin comes along and it gives you, gives humans the ability to have an item to put the value into. The item is now represented digitally on a computer screen and is controlled by a piece of hardware that signs cryptographic messages and allows a giant worldwide network of computers to talk to each other and sync up every 10 minutes and, and establish an absolute agreement on who owns all the different digital files and who can move them and who can't. And a very interesting concept. It's a way to take the idea of money and turn it into a system run over the internet digitally that gives people all the benefits that money always had. It's divisible, it's portable, it's fungible, it's uh, scarce, it's um, uh, whatever else. Uh, I forget all this, you know, yeah, you can, there's a bunch of characteristics of money. Since I can't remember, won't well, go out and do your homework folks and figure it out. Uh, but anyway, <laughs> Bitcoin has all these good characteristics of money. And, um, you know, we're teaching the world about this right now. We can use this digital form of value transfer as our money. We can do it, right? We're allowed to do it. We just have to agree. And a lot of people on the planet already want to, and we think it's worth a lot of money in terms of the old money, right? It used to be worth nothing. And now it takes 32,000 US dollars to get one of these digital files that somebody else on the network already controls if you want one, or you can buy a little piece of one. But what you're basically doing is instead of buying shiny rocks that come out of the ground, you're buying digital files that are represented on a giant network that everybody agrees to. That's what it comes down to. We all agree. Everybody that's running the network, that's using the network, we all agree how many they are and who controls them. And that's one of the beauty things. Like no one gets to cheat, right? You have what you have. I have what I have. And that's it. And, you know, if somebody wants mine, I decide how much I'm going to trade it for. You know, maybe one day, one of, one of mine, somebody gives me an entire house for it. Meanwhile, you know, like a couple of years ago, maybe you needed 10,000 of these things to get a house. And then one, one day, all of a sudden, you only need like five, right? Because they keep going up in their value because more and more and more people start to realize this is a good way to represent the thing called money in the digital realm, on, on the internet, with phones and computers in, you know, the 21st century. This is a good way for humans to use the, con you know, to turn the concept into money, into a usable function, functioning system. The most important part is that no one gets to cheat. There's nobody in charge of it directly. No government can shut it off. Um, and nobody, you know, the richest guy, the guy who has this, the most amount of Bitcoin has to follow the same rules as me and you. The current monetary system, that's not like that, right? There are people that get to use the monetary system by different rules than me and you. And because of that, they benefit and we get screwed. And Bitcoin fixes this, right? We love that meme. Bitcoin fixes this. Fixes the broken money systems. It's just a better money system. And people just have to learn that. Yeah.
Yeah, that's great. I I love having the the arguments of Bitcoin versus gold with people. Oh, well, no argument here, I guess. You're not trying to argue. Like, are you? Do you argue for Bitcoin like I just did? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So. No, I'm on your side on this one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you know, like I, I can see why people would still want to store some value in gold, but I think over time, future generations are going to go. That seems silly. Why would you need? You know, why would you want that? It's heavy and. It's easy. It can be stolen easier, and you got it's harder to protect it. And I don't know. And you can't. You know, it's funny because people used to break up their gold and actually spend it on things. Gold coins were real, and people used to transfer gold around. And then it stopped being that because people turned it into paper, and then they turned it into different metals that were supposed to also represent underlying amounts of gold. And um, no one's ever going to go back to using gold like money, like cash today or something like that. It's never going to happen. So like, I still don't see why anybody in the future would want to keep their wealth in gold because it just doesn't seem like you, I, well, I trust the Bitcoin network. If you secure your private keys correctly and you, ha you know, you, you know what you're doing, I feel like you don't have to worry about losing your Bitcoin. Like, um, uh, and and it's easier to move it around. It's easier to hide it versus like a physical piece of metal that you do have to protect and worry about. And, and like, try getting on the plane with a bar of gold in your suitcase. They're gonna think you're a terrorist, and they're gonna seize it, and they're gonna believe that you know, these are just other human beings that call themselves government. They're gonna say, well, if you can't prove where you got it, we're just gonna keep it. You know, because we think nobody does this. Nobody goes around the world with bars of gold in their suitcase. So you must be like a criminal. That's just disgusting. But that's what some humans do to the rest of us. So you can't work with gold very easily. And it's I don't see that getting any easier. So I don't know. You know all the arguments. I'm just rehashing stuff you already know. Yeah. I guess I said that for the benefit of people listening that may not know this stuff, hopefully. Yeah. Yeah, that's why I asked it too. I think there was a guy recently that had a bunch of gold uh, uh, taken from him because he was trying to do that, get through the airport with a bunch of gold bars in his suitcase. What do you do? What are you supposed to call federal officials and say, hey, look, I'm moving to another country. I'm going to be passing through. Don't hassle me. I'm going to tell you. Every but then they're going to know you're coming and then that might make it worse. I don't know. Like, how do you how do you even do it? It's just so stupid. The whole system is not it's not set up for that. You need like you need, you know, millions of dollars to move millions of dollars of gold. That's, a, that's silly. You need like a couple dollars to move millions of dollars in Bitcoin. It's like night and day better. Like, any, like you just, if you don't believe, if you don't believe the stuff about Bitcoin and aren't willing to consider it with an open mind, then you're just going to stay ignorant and un, unaware of what you don't know, right? Like, so if you're a gold bug or if you're just not even into any of this stuff, and you just, you know, you don't believe it because, I don't know, you haven't heard the right stuff yet. Until one day you decide to just open your mind and learn what we're talking about, you know, dig, dig into it, you, you're not going to get this. But one day, if you spend the time, you're going to realize this Bitcoin thing is really critical and you should own as much of it as possible. And the sooner the better. And, you know, your life out in the future, someday into the future, will benefit by that decision. But you have to you have to come to the realization as to why that's likely and then act on it. And a lot of people, I've, I've told people about it and they just don't even act on it. So they, they even agree and they still don't act on it. And I wonder like, wow, what is the hesitation? I guess they don't fully believe, but 
it's funny, you know, you can even learn about it and still not benefit because if you don't get some, it's not going to help. So anyway. Yeah, I think as you're talking about that, I think one of the things that influences people's decision making is looking around at what everybody else is doing around them. And when they don't, yeah, yeah when they don't see people doing that, I think there's a hesitancy. Uh, yeah, well, especially when they don't see the people they respect, their, you know, their peers or their, um, you know, mentors, people that are, you know, that they, that they see as more successful than them in life or whatever. And then, you know, somebody like me comes along, who's not a financial guy, you know, by trade. And, you know, I, I will say though, you know, the longer you do this, so now for me, it's four and a half years. So I have at least the longevity for those who knew back in 2017, when I started screaming about it, there's plenty of my friends remember, and they also know where the price is now. And they have to, they have to say, well, you certainly were right. So even though all of 18 and 19, they could have mocked me and told me I was wrong. But as of today, the value of a Bitcoin is way higher than it was even at the peak in 2017. So even if they had bought at the peak in 2017 and just held on to it, they'd be ahead of the game by 50% or more right now. So if, you know, so, that's pretty good for holding one asset for three years, right? Three or four years, whatever time, if you would have, depending on when you would have bought it. So, you know, you average that out, a 50% increase over three years is what, 12.5% a year or something like that, whatever it is. I mean, that's a pretty damn good return on an investment, like if you want to look at it that way. So, there's plenty of people who finally actually started to take me seriously, even though I'm not a finance guy, just because I stayed engaged with Bitcoin, whenever I would see people, a lot of times that people would ask me, even through 18 and 19, you still into that Bitcoin thing? And I'm like, yeah, dude, if you only understood it. Yeah, but it came down a lot. I'm like, yeah, it's on sale. You should buy more, right? And they didn't want to hear that part. They just, now it went right up past where they could have bought. And now they're kicking themselves, plenty of them. So, and they're going to do it again in like two years when, when you know, we're talking right now and it came from 60 some odd thousand three months ago down to the 30s right now and uh, you know we're telling people it's on sale right now guys and what do you mean it's on sale it's 30,000 right now 32,000 i got the chart up on my computer screen 32,000 for a single bitcoin that's hugely expensive oh yeah wait till it's 300,000 and you're gonna wish you bought one back when it was 30 right so whatever yeah we'll get to watch that play out so what's got you stoked today? <laughs> um, well, I don't know. Today was a nice day. Um, just as as days go, it was pleasant. I went and looked at those roofs. I went to go up and into a lighthouse, which is cool. I didn't even expect that. Um, the barn that they want the roof on is a really cool old barn. It's like the way they have it set up inside is very cool. So that was like a nice experience. Um, the lady that I met that showed me all this stuff was very cool. So that was just like a nice day, just like a nice, easy going, non-stressful, beautiful summer day. I don't know. So I knew I was going to have this talk with you. So I always look forward to that kind of stuff. I like talking to people about Bitcoin and um, I guess nothing bad happened today. So like my truck didn't break down, <laughs> something like that. <laughs> Had enough of that over the years. Uh, so yeah, so I'm just stoked that it was a nice, nice day, nice summer day. I didn't get to go surfing, so that's a bummer. Yeah, but we're we, going to fix that. We're building the Long Island Surf Park. You know about that, right? No, I haven't heard about that. 
Oh, you haven't? Oh, yeah. I'm going to just check the surf report while we're talking. Oh, yeah. There's not even... I might see a little bit of waves on Sunday. Oh, that's cool. On the weekend, maybe I'll get to surf. Not too big, but... Anyway, yeah. A um, friend of mine from high school decided Long Island needs a surf park. And he decided this about six years ago. And me and him and his son have been working on it the whole time. And we he went out and bought property. I mean, it's his project. I just helped. But um, I've been involved the whole time. And uh, we have site plan approval. We're allowed to build a surf park. We have land to build it on. We have investors putting up money. We have a design. We're just waiting on permits. Just waiting on the government to give us permission. Yeah. Ultimately. But, you're, probably, uh, you're probably pretty used to that, though. East of what? Used to waiting on the government for permission to do things. What do you mean, east of waiting on the government? You're used to it. Oh, used to it. I think yeah. said east. That's so weird. Sorry. Um, I am, and I hate it because, you know, the government is just other people who identify as having authority over their neighbors, you know, like ultimately. Um, it's really amazing how society has organized itself around the concept of government. Like, you know, you grow up, you just accept it. You don't even recognize much of how it evolved or how it's maintained or who the people are i used to think that the smartest people in the world worked for the government that's the whole point is like the government can hire the best and they always did i don't think that at all i think some of the most incompetent people work in government actually because unfortunately when you become a business owner like me and you're an entrepreneur you have to make it happen you start to realize how incentives work and how profitability works. And when you have skin in the game and how you'll treat your customers a certain way and like, you know, incentives line up in certain ways when you, you know, you can't get bailed out. Like you have to make it happen. You know, this, it's just different. And people in government have no skin in the game. They don't lose their job for making poor decisions that lose money for their department. You know, whether it's, you know, the highway department or the military or whatever, like people screw up all the time and they never are personally held liable. They're just working for the government. So the government pays, you know, which is what? The taxpayer. I mean, it's all just, but what is the government? It's just other people. They were little babies in diapers, just like us once. They shit themselves. They, you know, they, they had to learn to crawl and walk and run and, you know, get ridiculed as a kid or they were a bully or who knows what. And now they're in government. And now they decide they get to control my life and your life. They get to control money. They get to control words on paper that turn into these things that humans recognize as laws, which, which regulate the conduct of their fellow neighbors that didn't even have a say. You know, like st stupid drug laws that don't hurt anybody. You know, like victimless crimes, like driving without a seatbelt. You get pulled over and the... the the people that identify as government get to just steal some money from you you didn't hurt anybody like you might have hurt yourself if you crashed but you didn't even crash the guy pulls you over and wastes your time and then gets to steal a hundred bucks because you didn't put the stupid seatbelt on you didn't hurt a single person on the planet what the hell is that shit but that's government that's just other people who believe they have authority over you and they've written words on paper and they get to enforce it because they got people with guns that are willing to do it it's just such a broken system. Like I'm so down on government and all the people that work for it and support it and make it happen. It's just pretty horrible. And democracy and voting is all pretty bullshit because democracy is just two wolves and a sheep voting on what to have for dinner. And we know who's going to win that.
So like it's I don't know. I'm I'm down on I'm down on all that stuff. I just, everybody should be free, and as long as you leave other people alone, you should be able to do whatever you want. Yeah. Now that means you can't mess other people's lives up, right? You're not allowed to murder people, right? So we can have rules, but we don't need necessarily rulers. But yeah, you know, people don't like you start thinking this through. Like, Who's going to enforce this? And that? Well, somebody better step up, right? Eventually, that's what happens. People do step up. People do police themselves in their neighborhoods and the strongest people with the highest character, you know, are able to help make things peaceful and safe for those people that want to live amongst each other. It's not easy. I recognize that because having rules without rulers does seem to allow for a state of disorder that some people can't fathom. And yet we, what's interesting is humans every single day walk around through life in a state of anarchy. There are rules all around them every minute of every day that they follow voluntarily. Every day, we do it all the time. We literally walk through the mall and we don't bump into each other on purpose because it's rude. We could, and no one's even going to do anything. You might get a punch. No one's going to arrest you. But, you know, like we just are courteous. We open doors for people. No one's making you do any of that stuff. These are, and that's just not even a rule. That's just a courtesy. But we all follow traffic rules all day long, not because there's always going to be a cop around the corner but because a lot of a lot of them make a lot of sense they keep us safe it's it's worth doing we get to get along we get to get from a to b without crashing because we're all just going to follow rules voluntarily you know when i went to pork fest i, I hung out with like three thousand people on a giant campsite there wasn't a single fight that i saw or heard there was people of like amazing variety of people <laughs> I mean, crazy dressed people, like, you know, whatever, people in suits and ties and people in, you know, bathing suits. I mean, just every, like, but nobody seemed to bother anybody and all different ideologies in terms of, you know, even like, so we, I was there with people for Bitcoin and there was tons of shit coiners there. So you're not agreeing on, the, you know, Bitcoin versus shit coins, but generally you're still agreeing on everything else. So like you can have friendly debates and still really get along with everybody and respect everybody and leave each other alone and not break their stuff and not steal their stuff. I saw so many vendors that would leave tables full of product out all night long with just a tarp over it, just for the moisture, and then open it up the next day and nobody stole anything. Like the whole giant campsite was like that for a week. It was really amazing because people really actually do just want to get along most people do not want to hurt their neighbors or kill people or steal everything most people just don't and when you're in a crowd of people where it's expected that you won't and everybody's actually paying attention you're not likely to try to mess with people right and then you throw in another controversial subject which is carrying guns and being armed um, where we were in New Hampshire is, is an open carry state, where it's even concealed carry state. You're allowed to carry a pistol in your pocket. No one even knows. So now you're walking around, you have no idea who's armed, which is actually pretty good when you consider that people generally don't want to shoot you. They don't want to be shot at. As soon as they shoot you, someone's going to shoot them, right? They cannot cover 360 degrees around them. And if almost everybody has a gun, you're not getting very far. You could kill a few people, but you're going down pretty quick if everybody's allowed to carry a gun. So nobody does anything because there's people walking around very clearly with guns strapped to their waist all over the place, which was unusual for me because I live in a place where that does not happen. 
where I live, that's not legal. You, no one walks around with a gun. So it was a very unique experience for me, but I wasn't afraid ever. And I felt not only very safe, but I felt very welcome and everybody seemed really cool. And to me, it was the, it was exactly how life is supposed to be lived. Everybody's allowed to just basically do whatever they want, recognizing certain general basic courtesies and everybody seems to pretty much just follow it and get along nice, you know? Like I said, I think most people do this every day, uh, but they somehow believe they need the state to rule over them and mandate a whole bunch of stuff and then steal a bunch of their money in the form of taxes so they can do whatever it is they do with all that money. But yeah, I think it could be done better. Yeah, I, I, I think that's great. I had Jimmy Song on my podcast and I... Uh, right before the election. And one of the things he said is voting is just choosing who you want to steal from you. And I thought that was a pretty good line. Pretty much. Uh, but I, I think like putting into context, like most of the unrest that we see today in the chaos, it, it's a result of failures from the state. You know, yeah, totally. The state tries to regulate everything and they don't, you know, the state, uh, we use these terms all the time. I like to make it very clear when I talk about that, when I say those words, I just mean other people. There are other people that represent this, this entity called government, and they believe either they're too stupid or they just want the power, but they do believe that they can make decisions that can work for, you know, like this whole country, 300 million people, and everybody has to follow one rule, and it's all going to be fine. The, the open, free, and fair market does not work that way. People are different. Places are different. And things that are needed by those people in those places are just different all over the place. And there are, you know, you'll find um, similarities in certain regions for various reasons, whether it's cultural or language or climate. But as soon as you get far enough away, certain things just morph and change a little bit. You know, even something as simple as climate where, you know, in the North, you have to dress different and you have to build your houses different in the South and, you know, in the tropics, it's different. So, the world is just not homogenous perfectly. You know, as humans, we all need a lot of the same things, but we don't need them at the same time in the same ways, in the same forms. There's just too much variability. When government gets in and says, we're gonna write a rule and everybody has to follow it, it's just absurd. If you're gonna, every restaurant has to be closed for X amount of time, or you gotta have X amount of people stand six feet apart. Come on, this is absurd. This is absolutely absurd to think that you could mandate Everybody needs to wear a mask and everybody needs to stand six feet apart and we're going to conquer an invisible virus that's like, what are you kidding me? The hubris to think that you're that smart, that you really think you, what, this stupid mandate, you're going to write some words on paper and some man with a gun is going to come along and pistol whip me if I don't listen because you've determined this, whatever. Like, where does this shit come from? Like, who the hell are these people? It blows my mind, literally blows my mind. And then you got... Millions of people across the planet just go, whatever you say, Mr. Government, okay, you're smarter than me. I can't think without you telling me what to do. So I'll just stand six feet apart and wear the stupid face diaper because you know better. Um, I'm blown away. I didn't wear a mask the whole time. Anybody who knows me knows. I would go around in Lowe's and film all the crazy people with masks and I'm the only one without one. And I'm just laughing and just like, mocking people whatever there's just too much stupidity out there it's really sad it's so sad i watched this insane video the other day i tweeted it out this guy is talking about patents on these mnra virus technology before the virus was even known 
and the concept that they were going to, the, the idea, there's literally like criminal collusion that, these, that this video implied that you could easily convict like tons of people that this entire thing was planned out for like the last 20 years. This is not like this didn't just happen last year. This was so well thought out in some, like I, I'm talking very generally. I wish I had like some facts that I could actually point to, or if I could remember the name of the video I watched or whatever, but the guy's talking about all kinds of patented information that's out there. You can go like they did, they found it and they put, you know, put the pieces of the puzzle together. They said, Oh, this company did this and look at this company and then look at where they are today and look at how they're involved in this thing over here. And like, wow, look at all those connections. It, you know, if you just do a little homework, it's pretty clear a lot of this bullshit that's going on. There's a lot of collusion. There's a lot of manipulation. I call it regulatory capture because basically you have people that identify as government that get to write words on paper that become these things we call laws. And many of these laws benefit one group who qualifies under the parameters of the law. So to qualify, you have to have X amount of revenue for the year or X amount of geographic coverage. And so all of a sudden, a million companies that could do a, a certain service don't qualify because they're just not big enough or they don't have the right connection or some other stupid parameter because some humans get to write some words on paper that gave their friends an excess advantage over all their competitors because the rules were written just around the parameters that allowed their friend to be the guy who qualifies, you know? So now contracts get given out to, you know, only what, four pharmaceutical companies to make virus, uh, you know, um, vaccines, right? Like, not that I believe any of this, it's all bullshit to me, but why only four companies or whatever it might be? Maybe there's more than that, but um, yeah, because they can qualify, right? And then, um, you know, how come they are immune from responsibility? Like, how does one group of people say, hey, you guys over there, we're going to give you permission to make something. And we're only going to give you guys permission. And anybody else who tries, we're going to we're going to throw them in jail, steal their money. We'll make sure that you guys, we will protect you guys over here. This is what the state, the people that are government are doing. We're going to let you guys build this product. And we're not going to, we're going to make sure no one can hold you responsible. We're going to write words on paper that just allow you to kill people with this thing. And don't worry, nothing's going to happen. It's all good. Because we can do this because we control power. This is disgusting. This is off the charts disgusting that these people that identify as government can write these words on paper that give this advantage to these other human beings that run these giant private companies called pharmaceutical companies. And they get to mix a bunch of chemicals and inject it into people's bodies and are not responsible for what happens. And then not only that, they get paid gazillions of dollars directly from the people who wrote the words on paper, right? Because everybody's getting free vaccines, but who's paying? The pharmaceutical companies aren't doing this out of the goodness of the heart. They're getting paid because the government prints money out of thin air and just gives it to them. It is such a oh, disgustingly rigged system. I was gonna use a little more profanity. I'll try and keep it fairly clean. Bottom line is it's disgusting and it's all because the money's broken. Ultimately, this all ties back to the money being broken. The only way they get away with this is because they control the money and Bitcoin fixes it. This is like the best part about this whole thing is like all this bullshit we've been talking about. So much human inequality that's built into existing systems by unscrupulous humans that came before us and wrote words on paper and created systems that put power in the hands of some people over others. All of that gets dismantled 
when they cannot control the money anymore. Slowly, it'll take time. I say all the time, it's a two-generation changeover. But by the time people that are young kids now become adults with families, you know, uh, you know, or grandkids, let's say, you know, like a 10-year-old has some grandkids, so 50 years from now or whatever, I could see the world being in a much better place because of this one monetary system that allows for a level playing field and allows for anybody. Here's what happens. When everybody has the same monetary system to use, anybody can be really frugal, work really hard, gain some value, get paid in this system, right? And store that value and not use it up. Live really, really frugally and save up and save up and save up. And then they can take that value as it grows and turn that into a little bit of leverage, like by starting a business, by buying some tools, by investing in themselves, right? Turning their saved labor, so it changes their time preference, something you mentioned earlier. And they can turn that into an entrepreneurial a value creation machine, right? You can build a product or a service that generates more income. So, it's, you know, it's this typical entrepreneur starting a business kind of story. But with a level playing field, you all you have to do is save as much as you can save. People can't debase the amount you save if they can't debase the entire system. And that allows even the poorest person in the world to rise up and become a millionaire. Because once you figure out how to save some money and turn that into something that can generate even more money exponentially, right? So I spend $100 on a circular saw that allows me to cut wood 10 times faster than a handsaw. Now I can make theoretically 10 times as amount of money in the same eight hours because I can do 10 times the amount of cuts, right? So I can do my job that much faster. So by investing the 100 bucks, I get back a thousand, right? So when you learn how you can reinvest back into yourself through buying products or tools or whatever it might be, um, you, and because the place where you stored the value before you re-released it into something new was stable and growing because the, the overall system wasn't getting debased, that allows anybody on the planet to get ahead. And what it also does is it only allows people to get ahead that actually provide value. And what I mean by that is there will always be people that can cheat, that will lie and say they're providing value and somebody will pay them some Bitcoin and they will get the Bitcoin and the value they gave is not what they said it was going to be. So the person got ripped off, right? The product didn't last or what, they lied or they didn't even come through. They got paid and then they absconded with the money. There'll always be people like that. But those people's reputations won't go very far. In a world where hard money is working for everybody, reputations will be super important, much more you, like it will be part of the metric that allows you to decide who you're going to hire much more. And it, it is already now, but it seems like people can get away with it more because of the way that, especially at really big corporate and government levels, people get away with all kinds of collusion and bullshit, which all gets weeded out when there's only this one form of money we all get to use. And, um, the honest and the hardworking and the people that provide real value are the ones that will bubble to the top. And that will, that will create a, um, a higher level of integrity in the people who are running those businesses, the people who work in those businesses, and then all the people downstream of them that are family members of those people, the culture of people's outlooks, their the pride they take in the products they make and the desire to 
be able to hold their head up high and say, I produce something of value and I deserve to get paid well for it. That is what happens in a hard money world where people aren't screwing with the money. People, all things get better. People get better, but also the products they make get better. Time preferences change and everything starts to improve because you realize that in order to part with this really good, important money that goes up in value constantly, you want some really good value for that. And then you become... So when you're the when you're the customer, that's what you want. But when you become the producer, you realize that's what your customer wants, right? So you have to give the same thing. You got to give some really good value here. And I just think it really realigns incentives for everybody if we have this really good monetary system, which we now have. So we're in the process of bootstrapping it all over the world right now, trying to get everybody to wake up and see what's what's going on here and how everybody benefits, especially them. If they get involved and stick it out, and then, of course, their heirs. Anybody young that's got a family or planning to have a family, this is the most important thing you could do for your future, for, for the financial security of yourself and your family 20, 30, 40 years from now. This is more important than anything. Like, I mean, it's one thing to work on a career, but anybody that's in that position, young 20s, 30s, married or wanting to get married, whatever, if you're not making learning about Bitcoin a super high priority, you are going to regret it one day because you're going to realize that you missed out on like one of the most important life changing opportunities. It's not like you're going to miss out forever, but you're just going to get in a lot later involved in this thing. And you're not going to have the same amount of upside potential that you could have had had you started a little sooner. It's just that simple. So you know, it's not too late. Bitcoin's around for 12 years. It's worth a lot of money for every single Bitcoin now compared to the way it was even just a few years ago. But if you think like I do that a single Bitcoin could be worth well over a million, 10 million, even much more than that for a single Bitcoin in the next 20 to 30 years, that's your lifetime right there. You know, you get one that's 30,000 now if you had the ability to get that or if you can somehow accumulate one over the next 10 years or whatever, and it goes to be worth a million dollars in spending power you know, based on today's dollars, what you could get for a million, you know, that's a pretty damn good investment to, you know, that you're going to be around 30 years to cash in, in on, you know, or leave to your kids or something. So, you know, I, it's not me who came up with all this stuff. You know, I had to learn from a lot of smarter people besides me, but I'm certainly not the only one that believes a single Bitcoin could easily be worth over a million dollars in the next 10 or 20 years or even sooner. Um, and so it's, it's that belief, my belief and the belief of lots of other people and the people that work on the system and believe in the system, why that, that could happen, the logic behind it. There's enough other information people can go out and look at to corroborate or either believe or dispel what I'm saying. But if you think it could happen and you're not making learning about Bitcoin a priority, you're going to regret that. You know, if you're hearing my words and you're not taking this a little more seriously. If you don't know what it is yet, if you can't explain what this is to somebody who asks you, then you don't know what it is yet. You don't know enough about it and you need to learn more. It's going to affect your life. I said, like Bitcoin's going to affect you whether you buy some or not. So you might as well figure out what it's going to do to your life and then get on the right side of that trade. In this case, I think you should own some. So anyway, awesome. what else do you want to know? <laughs> where, where can people follow you? Oh, well, basically just on Twitter really is the only place. Surfer Jim W on Twitter. Okay. Yeah. I guess so like my closing question for you, what do you think about uh, the song that was written about you? Oh, geez. Well, all right. So for anybody who doesn't know, there was a little tweet battle, not battle, 
I tweeted out something in disappointment of some speakers at Bitcoin 2021. And one of the speakers, this guy Chamath, decided he was going to respond to the tweet. And he kind of belittled me. The community sort of jumped on him for that. And it first started out with some guy, Bitcoin poet, wrote a poem about Surfer Jim and the billionaire and the scuffle we got into on Twitter. And uh, and then this other guy I know, uh, who's a musician, very talented guy, David, he uh, he wrote a song, I think he called it the Ballad of Surfer Jim, but he basically took the poem and put music to it. And then another guy decided it needed to be in the form of a sea shanty, which is a style. And then he recorded that. And then another group of people decided they wanted to sing backup and they uploaded themselves with um, singing the chorus and one guy mixed it all together, BTC Minstrel, I think he goes by. I got to meet all these guys in Miami. It was very cool. And we, <laughs> if you were there, I don't know. Well, you weren't there, so you didn't know. But in the Swan Dome, where I hung out quite a bit, there was a whole thing where for like an hour we were talking about this and the guys who wrote the music were there and the, the whole crowd started singing the Surfer Jim Sea Shanty. So it was kind of unusual, I have to say. I, Never expected something like that to happen in my life, but it's not something I really did. You know, I sent out a couple of tweets. It's the community that reacted to it and they reacted to a billionaire belittling a regular dude who just wants to, you know, promote Bitcoin. And this other billionaire dude, this guy Chamath, he's a shit coiner. He promotes all kinds of shit coins and I think he's a bit of a scammer. So, but then so do a lot of other people. And that's, those are the people who more or less got behind me you know, I was just like the guy in the front of the line, so to speak. You know, I started it with a tweet, but then the whole community just took it from there. I pretty much did nothing after that. So, yeah, so a song was written and people made T-shirts, surf, Team Surfer Jim and different stuff like that, which was very unusual for me because I didn't see it coming. But it's all good. You know, I don't mind. I don't mind the attention. And, uh, you know, in some ways it's kind of good because maybe people will listen to me about Bitcoin now. I don't know. You know, I mean, they don't have to, but, you know, don't trust verify, right? So anything I've said, go out and see if you can verify it or if you can disprove it. I think if you search hard enough, you go back and listen to what I've said, you'll find that much, if not all of it, is accurate. I hope it's accurate. I mean, I try to be accurate. And if I'm not, call me out on it and I'll retract it. If I said something that's wrong tonight and you can prove it, you know, let me know. Hit me up on Twitter and I'll... Uh, publicly acknowledge it if I'm wrong. I have no problem with that. I don't want to be wrong. So, uh, you know, I just want people to learn about this stuff and benefit from it. I think all humanity benefits if everybody adopts Bitcoin. So it's not like I just want it for me, even though I should benefit. But I see it as a world like if, if everybody benefits, then I benefit from that. It's not just like benefiting from a monetary standpoint, from having something that has more spending power, right? So if I own enough Bitcoin and I can live like a really, you know, fancy lifestyle because I have it. That's all great. But if all of humanity gets better, that means I get to live in a world with happier people that aren't struggling so much. And in all likelihood, I will have a better experience myself. So like everybody wins, like there's just not a bad thing about, I don't see anything bad about everybody adopting Bitcoin. I only see everything just getting better. So it's like, why would you not want to do that? Right? Can you think of a reason? There's no good reason not to want to like get involved and learn about Bitcoin and get some and help the world 
get onto this new money standard because we all win. As soon as we get there, everybody wins. Well, <laughs> I shouldn't say everybody. The people in power are the ones that are going to lose because they're going to lose a lot of power, but they deserve to lose it. So the right people get to win, the regular folks, the most, most of society. And the parasites that steal from us now, that bomb strangers across the other side of the planet, they all get to lose and they should lose. They need to get taken out of power, right? They're destroying the world. They're destroying lives. It's no good. So they need to lose and everybody else gets to win. Now, if they just get in line, they also get to win. They can go from winning in the old system to winning in the new system, but they got to play with the, with the rules of the new system, which means they don't get to be in power anymore. So if they would humble themselves, maybe we won't string them up in the town square, which they deserve, most of them. Right. You know, like we're actually a very forgiving group of people. Right. We actually don't want to hurt people. We actually want to get along. I think these are the people I know anyway, all in Bitcoin. Nice people that want to get along, don't want to hurt anybody else. And if you humbly apologize for being a shit coiner or for screwing somebody or whatever, most people are pretty forgiving. And go, hey, dude, you know, you seem sincere. OK, you know, I'm going to be cautious. But hey, you know, no problem. You're welcome to be part of our, you know, our movement here or whatever, whatever you want to call it, you know, willing to forgive um but you know you I, I don't know i really do think that this is a, a unique group of people i i've said this recently like i think some of the smartest people in the world are the ones that actually understand bitcoin because i think it takes a little bit of effort and it's because that they're smart that um and not just smart but determined you know part of the part of the smartness is the idea that you recognize you almost i want to say you end up with a moral you end up with a moral predicament inside like you see how important this is you're smart enough to recognize it you almost feel compelled like you can't say nothing you can't do nothing about this you can't live with yourself if you do nothing so these people these really smart people have stood up and said hey look at what we're doing here and relentlessly for years and years and years have pounded the drum and now i've become one of them you know I've been very fortunate that a lot of people smarter than me were able to teach me some stuff. And I'm hoping I can just pass that along and we can get, you know, the smartest people first. And then the ones that are a little less smart or don't want to try as hard, but we'll get them. And then even the ones that don't want to try at all that are not that smart, whatever, it, it doesn't matter. They don't have to understand it. If they just use Bitcoin and we all use Bitcoin, we're all just going to benefit. And some people will never know why, but they'll still benefit. So, you know, whatever. So we all, you know, for those of us who understand it, who want, who see it, you know, similarly, we, we are the ones that got to keep pushing it forward, like you and I tonight making this recording for anybody who comes across it. Yeah. Yeah, we're going to meme it. Meme it to success. Whatever we got to do, I'll certainly retweet it. Just send me the link once it's uh, uploaded. Well, I really and, appreciate you coming on, Jim. It's a lot yeah, of fun. No problem, man. I like talking about Bitcoin. So uh, anytime you want to have me back, no problem. Sounds good. That was a really fun conversation with Jim and big thank you for him to come on. I, I just appreciate how he breaks things down into first principles, like talking about government is just a person like you or me that feels like they have authority to rule over somebody else and make decisions in their lives. And it's kind of a silly thing if you really think about it. Uh, but yeah, we have some pretty cool stuff coming up in Arizona. We've got our meetups consistently rolling. I'm looking to start a block size wars book club uh, via Zoom, getting people from all over Arizona joining. 
uh, to read that book. Pretty excited. Got probably six people that are interested right now. And Max Kaiser is coming to Phoenix for the Fuck Elon tour. And that's going to be a load of fun. It is happening August 19th, and I hope that you're there. Anyways, thanks for watching have a, or listening, and have a good one.